and then we'll be reading our New Testament passage, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 as well. Hear now the word of God. Psalm 110, a psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. In the New Testament, again, turning to Hebrews chapter 5. Begin reading in verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that, they, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you, as he also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of, of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let us prepare our hearts. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon uh, this portion of his holy word, uh, actually probably one of the most popular uh, Old Testament passages in the New Testament. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you, and we thank you, Lord, that uh, you've given us your word. You are not silent. You communicate to us, and you uh, communicate to us personally. Uh, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who is here with us now that he is the one who is the author of these passages we read. 
and he is our teacher. He is our interpreter. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enable us to hear and receive and trust and obey what you are saying to the church today through this portion of your holy word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, as we celebrate your birth, when you took upon yourself the form of a servant made in the likeness of men, you humbled yourself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted you and given you a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we pray that you would enable us to do so now, to declare you as Lord, as risen from the dead, as well as celebrating the incarnation, your birth, so many years ago. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you notice in the, uh, the title of the sermon is what? Anybody have their bulletin open? The title of the sermon, Satisfied with God's Gift. So today is a, uh, this weekend or whatever this time is a time where gift giving is uh, a major portion of, uh, at least in the world, right? Christmas is a day, a time to give uh, gifts and to receive gifts and so on. But it really isn't about your gifts. It's really about God's gift. The gift of God is Jesus Christ. And so our text, though, is about, is really not about you in particular. It's about Jesus and his gift from the Father. What the Father declared through David concerning the Son of David, even Jesus Christ, that he would receive authority as Lord and also the office of priest, high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. And so as we consider our text, let us consider the gift that God the Father gave the Son, and now that's where we come in. Because the redeemed of the Lord, those whom the Lord redeems, are also a gift to the Lord Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you are a gift from the Father to the Son. Ever thought of yourself as a gift? And when Jesus... As he was facing the cross, Isaiah says, he saw the travail of his soul, and what was his response? He was satisfied. He looked at you, and he was satisfied with what he was about to go through, what he was going through. Think of the garden, where he's sweating drops of blood, and he prays if there's any other way. But yet he looked at what would be accomplished, including your salvation. And he said, it says that he was satisfied. So satisfied with God's gift. My question is, in what ways, in the bulletin, the main point, in what ways did Christ see the travail of his soul was satisfied? The answer is twofold. The first concerns who he is 
and what he has accomplished. It is finished. He has accomplished. The second concerns the recipients of his work of redemption, namely his beloved people. And then the call is, what is the proper response to God's wonderful gift of grace? What is your response? What should be your response when you get a gift? What did your mama teach you when you receive a gift? What do you do? You say thank you, or you write a thank you card, right? So the gift of God is Jesus, and the best way that I can respond is to say thank you by living for him. So, okay, there's the sermon in a nutshell. So let's look at our text. Now, has anybody, as I was reading that text, as we sang it, it sounds pretty violent. Did you, did you pick that up? The crushing of the head, if you will, of the serpent, of the kings of the earth, of those that would oppose the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that stand in his way, he removes them. Is that important to you and me? Or does it sound, oh man, that just sounds all Old Testament like? No. What was the first gospel that God preached in the garden? You know that he preached the virgin birth? What did he say? The seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent. Seed of woman, not the seed of man. From there on, throughout the Old Testament, we see more and more clarification, but that battle, that war, started in the garden. Who started it? God did. Who's going to finish it? God will. Our Lord Jesus Christ has conquered. So let us, uh, first of all, look at that first point. He satisfied, that is, Christ satisfied divine justice and mercy. What he did is done. Notice, who's, who's writing this in our text? It says it. A psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my, at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Here we see David speaking of a divine declaration, an oracle. What's surprising, and Jesus used this, Various, in various places at his trial and others. The Lord said to my master. Notice that? If, does your Bible have that? If you look at your Bible, when it says Lord, the first time is the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And the second time is capital L, small O-R-D. That's the translator trying to tell you these are two different words in Hebrew. Jehovah, the Lord, said to my master the one who is over me, who's speaking. David is speaking. Who's David at the time? He's the king. But he acknowledges that he has someone over him, and Jesus will say, if he's speaking about his son, what's going on here? David says, my master is my son, Jesus. Jesus Christ raised that question in all three Gospels. Why does he call him Lord? And the answer is, because he is. He's the Lord. David is under him. We are under him. Do we understand that point? 
He is the king, the king of kings. Whether you accept it or not, it doesn't change it. Some people say, well, I will let him be Lord. I'm in charge, but I'll let him be Lord. No, that doesn't, that doesn't fly. He is the Lord. Notice what the verb that's there. There's two, actually, two commands. The Lord commanded, or the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and rule in the midst of your enemies. So those are the two commands there. Sit. Why? What's the point? Why does the Father, why does the Lord say to Jesus, sit at my right hand? What is it? What's being communicated? The answer is, you've completed the job. You've accomplished what I sent you to do, and now be seated with authority and power to rule. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, it is complete. And the Father says, now be seated in honor and glory. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God. Did you say that this morning when you said the Apostles' Creed? He's seated right now. He's accomplished it all. He doesn't need to be crucified every Sunday. He's crucified once for all. He now reigns as king, and he will come as judge. Sit at my right hand because you have completed the work that I gave you to do. Did Jesus ever say that while he was on this earth? I've come to do not my will, but the will of him who sent me, and to finish or complete the work? The answer is yes. Throughout Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, there are four, one, two, three, four places where the author quotes this verse. Four places where that declaration that Jesus is seated in heavenly places, and what is he doing? Is he waiting to rule? Some Christians say he's waiting to rule. Or if he rules in anything, he's ruling the hearts of believers. But what does the text say? The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Sounds like warfare. Sounds like he's ruling his enemies. Not talking about someday. But now, Jesus is ruling. He has completed the work of redemption, and now he's ruling over all things. We've been working our way through Ephesians. Paul writes it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, 22, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand at his right hand in the heavenly places far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and he's put all things under his feet 
and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, did you notice all of those verbs are what? Past, present, or future? Past. I'll read it again. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him, past, in heaven, at his right hand, far above. And then it says, and he put all things under his, put, past tense, all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to church. He's already. Does that bring comfort to you, or should it? As we look at the machinations of wicked men in our civil government, the world at large, the wars, the battles, or the conflicts that you're dealing with, with family, friends, neighbors, or coworkers, or whatever, when you're overwhelmed, is Jesus Lord? Does he care? Is he involved? Does he have power? Does he have the ability to conquer all his and our enemies? The answer is yes. It does bring comfort to know that he is ruling now and that he will render judgment and justice in time and eternity. So you don't have to. You don't have to take it on yourself and say, well, if uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you do it to me, I need to render it back because otherwise it won't happen. No. He's the Lord. He's the judge. He will execute his justice, verses 5 through 7. So let's go back to that statement. The Lord at your right hand, he shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside, therefore he shall lift up the head. Is that tied in with crushing the head of serpent? Victory over all his and our enemies. But at the same point in time, he shows mercy to you and to me. While we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. And now he is also a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He accomplished what needed to be done. He sacrificed himself, but he also intercedes, prays for you and me. You ever stopped and thought about that? How Jesus is praying for every believer around the world at the same time, all the time. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's interceding. He's showing mercy. Who can separate us from that intercession? Nothing. So what has Christ done? He has satisfied divine justice concerning our sins. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, Christ satisfied divine justice and is the one through whom we experience God's mercy and grace. The problem with that statement, or the problem in the past has been in the church during the Middle Ages, they focused on the judgment and the justice of God, the, the judgment that come of Christ, but forgot the mercy of God in Christ. And so they went to Mary, and they went to the saints, and the priests, and all these other things. You don't need to do that. You have Jesus. 
He is the one through whom we experience God's mercy and grace. So what is it again? What is the response, kids? What do we do when we receive a gift? We say thank you, right? Thank you, Jesus, for accomplishing what I can't do. The second point, he is satisfied with what he received. You ever had that happen? You give somebody a gift and they they just kind of say thank you and just kind of set it aside. They're not really thankful. You worked on something, you gave and you gave them that gift and they just thanks but no thanks. It's disheartening, isn't it? Especially if you put a lot of effort into it or you spent a lot of money and then the other person just kind of yeah, I I I grew up uh, one of my relatives, I'll keep it really general, uh, a family, extended family, they would go and they would buy all these gifts for Christmas, and you almost couldn't see the Christmas tree because of all the gifts for all the kids. It was, it was almost obscene in the number of gifts that they gave their kids. And when it came time, what did the kids do? They tore through from one present to another and kind of tossed it aside to go to the next and talk. Did they really appreciate? Maybe they appreciated the one thing they wanted or whatever, but it was almost break your heart because all those gifts, no appreciation. Jesus is satisfied with what he received. What did he receive? Number one, he received this statement, verse one, the Lord said, here's a gift, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. He rules over all creation and he's satisfied with that. Are you satisfied that he's satisfied? Are you? that he's the boss and you're not. That's a tough one, right? I like what Dan, Dan, uh, Elder Dan has a favorite saying and he mentioned it the other day to remind me and it was like, yes, if you really wanna know a person, tell them no, cross their will. If you really wanna know a person, cross their will and see what happens. Well, Jesus is the Lord, we are not. So number one, he's satisfied with that. Number two, the divine oath there in verse fourth, he is an eternal priest. He is our eternal mediator. He has energy. Notice that verses three and seven. He has eternal vigor. He has the desire and ability to be what you can't be. He prays for you. He intercedes. Scripture says that, The believer in Christ is the apple of his eye, and nobody touches the apple of his eye. Have you ever let anybody touch your eye? Huh? Yeah, sure. Go ahead and stick your finger in my eye. Not. Well, he says that we are the apple of his eye. He protects us. He guards us. And he's satisfied with that job. But notice also in verse 3, your People shall be volunteers in the day of your power. He is satisfied with a people who are willing to follow him. He is satisfied 
with the redeemed of the Lord. Or like my favorite verse, or one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's described, we're described in this way, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance is before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of the armies, the Lord of hosts. On the day I make them my jewels. Literally, when I, the day that I make them my portable treasure, my movable treasure. You ever thought of yourself as a jewel, as a precious stone? Well, we have some whose names are precious stones here. But have you ever thought of yourself that way, that when Jesus looks at you, you're the most precious stone, the most precious person to him? How do you know? He died on the cross for your sins. Greater love is no man than this. He laid down his life. His goal is to make us into that jewel. So what is sanctification? Sanctification is God chipping away at all the crud and all the junk to be able to have that jewel without all the junk. Ever thought of it that way? That he's working and making us to reflect the glory of God? How does Paul write? He's changing us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? He looks and he's satisfied with his jewels, with us, his people. And also, he has a future. He's satisfied with that future and that hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, speaking of the resurrection of Christ, says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive, and each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. He's satisfied. He has the future. He has a hope. So my question to you, and this is the third point, are you satisfied with what God has given you? Again, our passage says, your people will be willing in the day of your strength. So here's a series of questions. Number one. God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Therefore, are you willing to repent and believe the gospel? Now, Scripture says we're all going to bow the knee to him one day, willingly or unwillingly. The question I'm asking is, are you willing to bow the knee? Are you willing to confess Jesus as Lord and not just say it with your words, but mean it from your heart. You're the boss and I'm not. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ following him? Secondly, God has made Jesus our great hope and mediator. Therefore, are you willing to trust your future to him? 
for those of us, me included, who have the besetting sin of worry and trying to figure things out, work things out, and play God, are we willing to say, no, you're the Lord and I'm not, and you're in charge with my future? I'm going to trust you to provide. I'm going to trust you. You're the king. You're the Lord. Is he your future and your hope? God has made Jesus our great head of his people, the church. Therefore, are you willing to pray and seek to know his grace and strength? That's what Paul prayed. We looked at that in Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 16 through 23. Fourthly, God has made Jesus our sanctification. And so, Paul writes in Colossians, Set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. Mortify your members which are on the earth. Put off the old man, put on the new man. We've been working through that in Ephesians. Colossians has it as well. God has made Jesus our sanctification. God has made Jesus our goal. Where's that in the Bible? What's your goal in life? Where are you headed? What's the final goal? Well, Hebrews, it says what? Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has done, God has done what? Set him at the right hand. Of the Father. What is your goal in life? My goal in life is Jesus. That sounds strange. My goal in life, my goal when I preach, I don't know, I've mentioned this before. Do you know the, 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 the prayer I pray, and I prayed it this morning as I'm preaching? Let them see Jesus, not me, that he may increase and I decrease. If you see Jesus in this sermon, I've succeeded. If you see me and not Jesus, I have failed miserably. And you can come and talk to me and pray for me. That's what we all should be praying, right? That when someone looks at us, they see Jesus. Is that why we're on the earth? The answer is yes, that they might see Jesus. God has made Jesus our goal he is greater than all those that came before him, and he's greater than us all. And finally, God made, has made us, in Christ, kings and priests unto God. You ever thought of yourself that way? I'm a king or a queen? I'm a priest or a priestess? Is that in the Bible? If I'm in Christ, yes. And I'll give you one passage where that's found. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Grace to you and peace from him who, who is, who was, who is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to, our, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful passage? There's your summary of the sermon right there. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 
and 6. So, in summary, what is Jesus doing right now? He's sitting, right? He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He's ruling from there. Secondly, how does it affect you today? We're called to sit with Christ. Seated in heavenly places in Christ. We're called to walk following Christ. This is starting to sound familiar. We're called to stand with Christ. Sit, walk, stand. We've been looking at that in the book of Ephesians. So Jesus was satisfied with God's gift. My question to you today, I'll throw a lot of questions out, but to summarize, are you satisfied with Jesus? Is he your everything? Is he the greatest gift? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for blessing us with both the gift and the knowledge through your word and by your spirit of this greatest gift of all. And we pray that you would enable us to receive it, to open it, if you will, and receive it, and to express our thankfulness by living for you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.